The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today it is my honor to welcome Mr. Robert Schimmick. He is the Interim Executive Director of the White Earth Land Recovery Project based in northern Minnesota. I had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Schimmick while I was in Detroit, Michigan at a Kellogg Food and Community Gathering, and we were both interested in farm worker exposure to pesticides, and he shared a story about some potato spraying that's going on in his region, and I thought, this is important. We all need to know about this and see how we can make an impact collectively with our food dollars and our voices. So, Mr. Schimmick, welcome. Thank you, and thank you for the invitation to the show. Well, I wanted you to first tell us a little bit about the White Earth Land Recovery Project. Tell me about some of the work that you do and some of the issues that you're dealing with right now. Well, first of all, the White Earth Land Recovery Project was founded in 1989, and I became a staff member, a community organizer for the project in 1991, so I have a bit of a history with it. Worked with it off and on over the years, and the primary focus of the project has been and continues to be the recovery not only of our land base, which was stolen in primarily the early 1900s, but also recovery of our language, our culture, and our health. So it's it's been those different pieces that have been the focus since its founding, and we continue to pursue those today, all these years later. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about your land in northern Minnesota. What is it like? What are some of the agricultural products that you produce? What is the landscape? Well, first of all, I think it's important for the listeners to know that the White Earth Indian Reservation, as created by treaty in 1867, was a reservation that was actually designed to succeed, Hmm. unlike many, many others throughout the nation. It had a rich and diverse landscape, everything from eastern white pine habitat to mixed hardwoods to part of our reservation is in the Red River Valley, um, which is some of the most fertile and productive land in all of North America. Of course, the western one-third of our reservation is these days, you know, heavy-duty industrial ag with all the um, attendant inputs, you know, the fertilizers, the chemicals, the you know, fungicides, insecticides, etc., and it's a lot of wheat, corn, and soybeans. The most problematic area of the reservation is actually in the southeastern section where we have a company called RDO. It stands for Ronald Donald Offit. And he's a potato grower mm-hmm. and started growing potatoes on our reservation in about 1968, 1969, thereabouts. And, you know, initially, while it was a small operation, 
they focused on potato upon potato upon potato. In other words, they didn't rotate crops. Right. So it set up a huge fungus and insect control problem, which they controlled with massive amounts of spraying various pesticides over the years. We, since then, engaged them or ourselves and, and numerous other organizations and individuals engaged them in some groundwater pollution discussions because there was a whole section of the reservation and part of an entire watershed that needed to get new wells because of contamination from the, from the potato growing. So that's kind of a little bit of the early history. You know, that's 1980s, 1990s. I want to skip ahead to where we are today and why we continue to look at some of the potato-producing practices and the problems that are associated with it. Through some mediation and negotiation with the state, we were able to get them to, the potato growers, to implement some best management practices, which included crop rotation. Okay. State of Minnesota also put a moratorium on center pivot irrigation systems because that's how they're able to get such high production is massive amounts of fertilizer, pesticides, and water. So they couldn't drill any new irrigation wells, which kind of, you know, unfortunately moved part of the problem elsewhere. But the problem we have this day with the practices associated specifically to the potato production is they spray a fungicide onto the potato crop every five to seven days during the entire growing season. And that ends up to be a pretty massive exposure to our community, the Pine Point community, in the southeastern corner of our reservation, as well as the area that they've expanded into, which is south of our reservation, which includes, you know, a significant chunk of uh, northern Minnesota and central Minnesota. Right now they're putting in about 50,000 acres of potatoes a year, which probably doesn't seem like a whole lot when you look at all the land that is farmed here in the state of Minnesota. But the 50,000 acres is scattered out over a pretty significant section of the state. And that's why it's become problematic. Mm-hmm. The chemical they're using, the fungicide they're using, because everything's planted so densely and close together, is chlorothalonil. Anybody who does a little bit of organic chemistry or whatever or understands a bit about toxics will know that once you've got chlorine-based compounds and chemicals, you potentially have a problem. So that's kind of where we're at, trying to address the problem associated to the massive exposure to fungicides. Let me ask you a question. Let me step back and just ask a little bit about how this kind of agriculture is set up. So you mentioned that there's a lot of industrial agriculture. Mm -hmm. Correct. Do the Native American residents of this land agree to planting and using those pesticides, herbicides, and fungicides, or is this something that industrial agriculture businesses have the right to do on your land? Well, because so much of our land was stolen, we no longer own it. 
that on the reservation. And the rest of this is taking place off the reservation. They are regulated by um, state and U.S. EPA rules. So as long as they're not violating the application Mm. rules, they're fine. You know, and there's nobody out there saying, hey, you can't spray these communities. You can't poison these communities every five to seven days. Right. So we've been trying to work with RDO. We've worked with the Minnesota, tried to go to the Minnesota Department of Agriculture. We've been to our state legislature to try and get some help, to try and get some support, to try and get some oversight into what's going on. And so far, I've come away empty-handed. I went to your website, which and I want everyone to know that this is a fabulous website to learn more about this problem. It's www.toxictaters.org. And you can learn about Mr. Shimmick. You can learn about other community members' stories. And, you know, we may think, well, this is isolated, right? This is when one part of the country, why should I be concerned or it doesn't affect me? But I think what we do to the environment affects all of us. And if we are purchasing products that are produced in this region of the country, I think that our food dollars act as votes to either accept or reject this problem. And one of the things that I remember you saying at our meeting in Detroit was that children are becoming ill. And on your website, on the toxictators.org website, you describe how you were doing some work at a local school, the Pine Point School, and you had just gone through this huge process of auditing the cleaning chemicals and the cleansers and making sure that the children were safe at that institution. And then you realized, oh my gosh, this potato field is just a stone's throw away from the school, and the children are getting doused with the volatile compounds, and you set up a drift catcher near the school. What did you find? Yes, we did that in the late, like 2007, 2008. Those were the years where we started with the uh, drift catching. And yes, we set the pesticide drift catcher. It's a um, low-tech machine that people are easily trained in um, to operate that's available through the Pesticide Action Network of North America. We secured a couple of these, and we set up one of them directly below the air intake for the HVAC system on the school, the heating, ventilation, air conditioning, etc. Right. You know, these buildings breathe. They breathe in new air. They push out old air. And uh, we ran our drift catcher up on the roof of the school underneath this air intake, and we did get... Um, Readings of chlorothalonil, which is the potato fungicide used in the region, as well as an insecticide, I think it was called prowl. Mm. Somebody was applying it to some soybeans in a different field, not too far from where the school is located. So essentially it verified that the school was inhaling these toxins, these poisons from the potato production across the street and in other areas all around the school and the southeastern corner of the reservation. 
And there were other individuals who were running drift catchers in areas that were 25 to 75 miles south of us, and they, too, were getting significant levels of chlorothalonil showing up in their drift catchers. So that's when we kind of knew that it wasn't just a problem exclusive to the White Earth Indian Reservation and the community of Pine Point and the surrounding area, but that it was much larger. So it was then that we started kind of networking with others and trying to figure out what's the best way to proceed. Mm -hmm. Let me take one moment and remind our listeners that they are listening to Food Sleuth Radio, and we are speaking with Mr. Robert Schimmick. He is the interim director of the White Earth Land Recovery Project based in northern Minnesota, and he is also the founder of the Toxic Taters Coalition, and that's what we're talking about right now. Mr. Schimmick, I just want to share with you as a parent that if I knew that my children were being exposed to these chemicals, I would be very frightened. And I'm only assuming that I'm no different than other parents in wanting to protect our children's health. I can only imagine that there must be great outrage in the community. You know, it would be nice if there was. But here's the problem. As I mentioned earlier, the potato production has been going on in the Pine Point area of our reservation since the late 1960s. The public health problems associated to that, or the changes in public health, associated to the potato production have been gradual and scattered out over a number of years. I mean, going back to the late 1960s to where we are now, you know, I mean, first of all, we've morphed through a couple families of agricultural chemicals mm-hmm. to get to where we are. But the point, I'm, the point I want to make is this has come about so slowly, a little bit of disease, a little bit of dying. Then a few years later, a little bit more disease, a little bit more dying. And this goes on for 15 or 20 or 25 years. And it's my belief that communities kind of acculturate or acclimate to those gradual changes without really paying much attention because pretty soon it's the normal. Mm-hmm. You know, what many of us see as the abnormality or the problem, those communities and, and our communities tend to be pretty stationary. They don't move around a lot. Mm-hmm. So these things occur It's like take a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit over 25 or 30 years, and pretty soon everybody around you is watching you and saying, hey, you've got a problem. Those who live in the problem say, what problem? Mm -hmm. So that is part of the question, or that is part of the, you know, the, the issue that we have to deal with is, you know, a lot of people think, well, this is normal. People die 35 to 55 years old of these weird cancers. It's normal that all around the potato fields, there's no birds, there's no frogs, there's no crickets. You know, everything's dead. They think, well, that's normal. It's always been that way. See? So, yeah, if you're, if you're somebody with a child out there, there may or may not be some sense of alarm or cause to take action just because... Everybody's sick anyway. It's kind of like 
people are sick and tired of being sick and tired, but they don't know why they're sick and tired other than it's been going on for a long time. So that's the way life is. Yeah. I remember you sharing these sentiments with the group in Detroit. And when you spoke them, I was so struck by this need to intervene because we can't allow our children to become ill or their parents to become ill. And I appreciated so much your ability to step back and observe what has gone on in the community from a historical perspective. And I wanted you to share a little bit more about how perhaps those of us living outside the community can share your concern and step up to the plate to say, let's do something, let's protect children's health. So let's talk about the Toxic Taters campaign. First of all, who does R.D. Offit Potatoes, who who is he or who is this company selling to, and what brands can we identify as being an R.D. Offit Potato? The most obvious of his customers is McDonald's. McDonald's French fries here in the upper Midwest, minimally here in the the upper Midwest and probably beyond, every time somebody buys McDonald's French fries or tater tots or hash browns, they are contributing to our health and ecological, human health and ecological health problem here on the White Earth Reservation as well as elsewhere. We focused on McDonald's, even though there are others. I know that um, there's Oreida hash browns in there. Various other lamb Weston products come out of the production facility there in Park Rapids, Minnesota. That's where a lot of this potato processing occurs. But we've gone, we've gone to McDonald's. As I said earlier, we went directly to RDO. Said, is there a way we can work together to begin? minimizing the risk for human and ecological health. And we were lied to. We went to the Minnesota Department of Agriculture, and they said, don't bother us unless you're getting sprayed. If you're taking a shower in the chemical, then give us a call. We went to the state legislature and couldn't get it for with a right-to-know bill and couldn't even get, out, get it out of the um, Agriculture Committee. So now we've gone to McDonald's. And we're saying to McDonald's, tell RDO, no more toxic taters. And if we can get McDonald's to say it, it's going to affect potato production, not only here in Minnesota, but possibly throughout the entire United States and Canada Mm -hmm. and possibly other places in the world. Because McDonald's is the largest purchaser of potatoes in North America, period. They, nobody buys more potatoes than McDonald's. So if we can get them, if your listeners can go to our website and sign the petition or get the 800 number or go to McDonald's buy something, their 800 number is on the bag. Call McDonald's and tell them you have concerns about the health and the safety of the communities where these French fries and hash browns are produced. I think that's that that's our number one strategy right now because everywhere else we've gone, there's been no help, no support, no action, or we were lied to in terms of uh, 
what was actually happening on the ground with the uh, pesticides. Mr. Shimmick, has the Minnesota Department of Health looked at all at this situation? They have looked at it, you know, and they was even a consideration for kind trying to do some type of um, community health assessment through the Minnesota Department of Health, Mm -hmm. but they decided that the only way they can do these things is with um, zip codes, and because some of the some of the zip codes are split. Some are in the potato areas and some are, some are out. They decided that it wouldn't be accurate enough. I think that was just their way of saying, we don't want to know the answer to this question. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, though, that you've got the drift catcher data for the children's school. And there should be an interest in the rising numbers of cancers within that community to take some kind of action. I do agree with you that I think a consumer movement is one of the strongest ways we can to make change. And again, that website is www.toxictators.org where you can learn more about the history of the problem as well as how to take action. And so many of us today have access to social media technologies. So we've got Facebook pages. We use Twitter. I think it's important for all of us to raise concern about McDonald's purchasing potatoes from R.D. Offit. And I don't know of any parent who would willingly support using a toxic chemical on a food that is going to be consumed by their children, let alone poisoning the communities where these potatoes are being grown. So I encourage our listeners to take part in this, recognizing that we are all in this together. And if one part of our environment or if one community's children are ill, that really we should all be together in in trying to find a solution to this. And, you know, I have often thought that McDonald's could do so well if they offered a certified organic meal to children, right? I mean, of all populations that they serve, one would think that that would be a great Mm -hmm. seller. So maybe if we can also encourage McDonald's to choose more organic products, especially for their children's meals, that might be a step in the right direction as well. That would be. And it's interesting because um, RDO does grow quite a few thousands of acres of organic potatoes in Oregon. Huh. Or the West Coast market, of course. So they know how to how, do they it. Know, they know how to do it. Yeah. We just need to have more political pressure applied so that those growing methods can be extended. And I certainly know many successful organic growers in Minnesota, so I know it can be done. Absolutely. Yeah, there are organic potato producers in the Red River Valley, of all places, you know, where all this heavy-duty industrial ag occurs. There's organic growers out there. So if they can do it out there in the middle of all that, you know, absolutely, it can happen. Mm-hmm. It can happen elsewhere. It's just a matter of everybody lockstepping together, telling McDonald's, no more toxic taters, mm-hmm. period. And people vote with their dollars. Absolutely. And tell me a little bit about the success to date of the toxic taters campaign. 
Well, we know this much. We turned in our first 20,000 petition signatures during the McDonald's annual general meeting in late May. I think it was later, right around the 19th, 20th of May was during that time. We had some individuals go in and present those petitions directly to their board of directors. McDonald's likes to say that this is not a McDonald's issue. It's an RDO issue, but we're not accepting that as an answer anymore. So that is why um, the petitions, the phone calls, we are going to start building towards a statewide day of action here in Minnesota. It'll be in September. Sometime September this year, we haven't positively picked a date yet. I think we've got a couple of possibilities mm-hmm. where people actually get out in front of the McDonald's stores statewide and make a statement to McDonald's, to the customers, again, McDonald's, no more toxic taters. So that's kind of a little bit longer, but, you know, in the meantime, we're urging citizens to educate themselves on the issue, find out what this is all about. You know, why is it important that everybody takes some responsibility for what happens to the poisoning of our communities and our land and our environment for the sake and benefit of the stockholders of the McDonald's Corporation? I'm not above somebody making a dollar, but, you know, when the health of entire communities and wildlife populations are compromised or adversely impacted in the process of doing so, we all bear some responsibility for that. And uh, I urge everybody, learn more about it, sign the petition, make the calls, and if you're interested, join us this fall in a statewide day of action, or perhaps a national day of action at some point. I think that, um, you know, we have we have to keep building the pressure. We have to keep building the momentum on this. We have their attention now, both McDonald's and RDO. RDO is coming to us with a number of different things, saying, well, essentially, can we just kind of slow this thing down for a minute and talk some more? And, You know, we're trying to spray less, or we're trying some different things. We don't trust them anymore. We tried to be honest and forthright with all our information, and we've been deceived in the past. So until we have verifiable third-party groups going in to see that meaningful reductions are actually happening, we're going to continue our campaign. Well, I want to thank you so much, Mr. Shimmick, for being my guest and for sharing this information from your community. McDonald's is an international corporation. We have a a role, all of us, all over the country to step up and help your community because if something is making your children sick, we must be concerned about them as a nation. So I want to thank you again for being my guest. We've been speaking with Mr. Robert Schimmick. He's the Interim Executive Director of the White Earthland Recovery Project in rural Minnesota. And I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And we will make sure to post the website. It's www.toxictators.org. Let's demand that McDonald's stop 
serving potatoes in their restaurants that are causing illness in this rural community. Thank you again, Mr. Schimmick. Thank you so much for allowing me to share this time with you and your listeners. It's my honor. Thank you.